support from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Thanks for checking in wet and white for your turkey day travel. Meteorologist Kevin Williams predicting inclement conditions ahead of Thanksgiving. Traditionally, the busiest travel time of the year. Rain, ice, and snow, a risk for some. Tuesday and a Wednesday, and lake effect snows could be substantial east of Lake Erie and east of Lake Ontario Wednesday into Thanksgiving Day. All right, Kevin, we will check back with you in a little while. AAA expecting 55 million of us, U.S., will travel at least 50 miles from home next week. That's a 2% increase from a year ago. Correspondent Tom Costello. Six days till Thanksgiving. It's the start of the travel rush crescendo with the TSA expecting to screen about 30 million passengers over the next 12 days. That would make it the busiest holiday travel period ever. Experts say the worst time to be on the roads will be Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 6 p.m. Gas prices are about 40 cents less per gallon than they were last Thanksgiving. President Biden will be holding bilateral talks later today with the leader of Mexico at the APEC summit in San Francisco. It's the final day of that summit. We get a preview from White House correspondent Linda Kenya. The White House says President Biden and President Obrador will discuss ways to continue to work together to manage migration at the shared border. The world leaders will also discuss trade, fentanyl, and U.S. plans to build a new section of border wall. 20 miles of border wall will go up in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. Israeli defense forces have recovered the bodies of two female hostages taken by the terror group Hamas. They were were discovered near the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza, the Palestinian-controlled territory's largest hospital. Reporter Trey Yinks tells us more about who these women were. Yehuda Weiss, a woman in her 60s, was taken into Gaza on October 7th during the massacre. Her husband was slaughtered. She's a mother of five children, and she is someone who was receiving cancer treatment. Additionally, the Israelis recovered the body of Corporal Noah Marciano, a soldier, a 19-year-old Hamas had released a hostage video with her in it, and then at the end of the video, a image of her body. Today, her funeral is being held in central Israel. That's Trey Yingst in southern Israel today. The U.S. Department of Education is cracking down on anti-Semitism on America's college campuses. With more and more reports of campus anti-Semitism tied to the tensions of the Israel-Hamas war, the Education Department is now formally investigating such accusations at six colleges, Specifically, Cornell, Columbia University, and Cooper Union in New York, Lafayette College and the University of Pennsylvania there, and Wellesley College in Massachusetts. Federal prosecutors last month criminally charged a Cornell University student with allegedly making online threats against Jewish students there. Correspondent Tom Foti. Pro-Palestinian groups are rallying today at some of the largest colleges in the country in places like New York, Ohio, North Carolina, and Michigan. Yesterday, hundreds of anti-Israeli protesters 
protesters completely shut down the San Francisco Bay Bridge, causing huge traffic tie-ups during rush hour. Dozens of vehicles were towed, 80 protesters arrested. In Los Angeles, plans are in the works to get a damaged section of a freeway open again before the Thanksgiving holiday. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass. What a gift for Los Angeles to have right before a holiday to know that your commute will be better. The elevated stretch of I-10 that's been shut down since last week's arson fire will be back in business ahead of schedule. Governor Gavin Newsom. One thing we can guarantee you is we will be open five lanes in both directions at the latest Tuesday of next week. Earlier this week, officials predicted it could take till Christmas to shore up the mile-long stretch of highway. More than 250 construction workers are working round the clock to get that highway moving again. New York Congressman George Santos will not seek re-election as he fights public corruption charges. Fellow New York Republican Mike Lawler. If he had any decency, he would resign. But in the absence of that, obviously, when we get back from the Thanksgiving recess, I suspect there will be a expulsion resolution brought to the floor, at which time he will be removed from Congress. Santos calls the House Ethics Committee findings against him a political smear job. The congressman faces 23 charges, including money laundering and defrauding donors. It's turning out to be no school November for students in Portland, Oregon. The teacher's strike there is now more than two weeks old, and there's no end in sight to it. The earliest that students could return to the classroom is Monday, November 27th, but that's a big if in Oregon's largest school district. 50,000 students are on the sidelines at more than 80 schools in Portland as that strike continues. And a dog stole the show last night as Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred honored the American League MVP. Certainly I'd like to announce the fact that uh, Shohei Otani with his puppy there and his partner in his in his arms there. You were a unanimous choice. The Angels ace who claimed his second MVP honor high-fived his beloved Beagle when that announcement was beamed into his living room. The Atlanta Braves' Ronald Acuna Jr. was named the National League MVP. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday, PennDOT puts drivers through the paces. A closer look at childhood homelessness and the bomb maker from Horseheads. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams. Changes coming in our weather as rain ahead of a cold front this afternoon into tonight will be followed by much chillier air for the weekend and potential for some messy weather next week. Forecast details are coming up. We'll see in 10 minutes. All right, I know a lot of folks are going to want to stick around for that. Thank you very much, Kevin. Checking the stories, making news where you live. All across New York and Pennsylvania, we will begin in western New York where a wildfire has consumed several acres and at least one home in the Houghton area. According to emergency officials in Allegheny County, there are several fire departments on the scene there trying to stamp out that wildfire in northern Allegheny County. It has been extremely dry in that part of western New York this fall. Erie County, New York District Attorney John Flynn is not seeking re-election, and he may actually leave office before his term ends. I believe in term limits, and when I was on a town board in Tonawanda, we established term limits, and I've always believed in term limits, and so uh, I made it clear to everybody that I was only going to do two terms. Flynn says car theft 
and retail crime are the biggest problems facing law enforcement in the Buffalo area. Our homicides and shootings are now lower than they were pre-pandemic. But once you tackle one problem, something else pops up. And right now it's retail crime and it is uh, car thefts. The DA says he's looking to return to private practice, but is still searching for a firm that'll hire him. Flynn has been the district attorney of Erie County since 2017. Police in Horseheads, New York say a suspected bomb maker could have caused a catastrophe in that Chemung County community. The suspect, Michael Hilliard's home on South Main Street was basically a bomb-making factory in the nearby town of Veteran. Authorities recovered a remote-controlled improvised explosive device linked to Hilliard. Police say that device could have detonated a bomb from 6,000 feet away. Hilliard was arrested on November 11th in a U-Haul box van on Route 13 in the town of Newfield, just south of Ithaca. New York will soon start automatically sealing criminal convictions under the Clean Slate Act, which Governor Hochul signed into law yesterday. The chief executive thinks the criminal justice reforms will help boost New York's economy. I believe that the best anti-crime tool we have is a job. When people have steady work, they're less likely to commit crimes. New Yorkers who have served time for misdemeanors will have their criminal records sealed after three years. Felons will have to wait eight years. Sex offenders and those convicted of murder are not covered by the Clean Slate Act. Childhood homelessness is on the rise in Pennsylvania. 34,000 school-aged kids in the Keystone State live on the streets or in shelters. We were living in hotels, vans, um, cars, basements, I mean, just anywhere we could. Stacy Cauldron used to be homeless. Now she works at a homeless shelter. Family Promise, not far from Harrisburg. And I know we definitely see more of the younger kids, like toddlers or elementary. Um, it really looks different for every child. Most of them are couch surfing, bouncing from house to house, or staying in a hotel with their family. State Representative Melissa Schusterman says for many students, the only meal they get is the meal they get get at school. When there comes a break or a, a longer break, like summer break, these students have very little resources and they have no home to go to. Schusterman started a pilot program at six schools in Pennsylvania to assist students who have no place to call home. The health care needs of rural residents is on the radar of New York State officials. You don't get the health care that you need on a primary care level then you're probably going to end up in urgent care or emergency care. Patty Hammond is with a Capital Region Healthcare Network, which has set up more than 20 clinics across rural regions of western and central New York. Our patients need to get to us, so access to care is a very real issue. Hammond says it's been a real struggle, too, to staff the rural healthcare clinics where they have set up shop in the upstate region. Food costs continue to weigh heavily heavily on the minds of shoppers, but there could be some easing of the sticker shock in the not-too-distant future. Food prices have increased 25% since the pandemic started, but reprieve might be on the horizon. The pace of food inflation has slowed in recent months, but food prices are mostly still going up. They rose 3.3% annually in October from a year ago. This is according to the Labor Department, but prices on some staple items like bacon, seafood, and eggs have all dropped. Aaron Rayall with that report. PennDOT is getting ready for 
for the upcoming winter by training a new batch of snowplow drivers. Tim Kinzer runs the Snow Academy near the state capitol. There's so much that could go wrong out there plowing snow, and we have to be there to make sure those roads are open. Kinzer is a PennDOT instructor who teaches new drivers how to operate those snowplows. There's a lot of new people that we're starting to get, and they have never driven a truck with a wing on it. And just to show them that you can go around corners and plow a corner out without backing and going all over the place. Kenser says one of the hardest things for new drivers is avoiding tearing up mailboxes. PennDOT maintains 40,000 miles of road and 25,000 bridges statewide every winter. Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen is blaming himself for the firing this week of offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. The coach was let go after the Bills' disappointing loss to the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. It hurts a lot to, to see someone you care about go through a situation like that and to know that if I could have done more, if this offense could have done more, we wouldn't have had to do something like that. As for Allen's ability to lead the team in the second half of the season, well, here's the Bills' new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. Give me Josh Allen all day, every day. I'm not worried about it. When I look in his eyes before every game, there's not a worry in my mind. And I guarantee you that's the same mindset of everybody in this locker room. Buffalo hopes to get back on the winning track as they host the Jets this Sunday. Hey, we've got more sports next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob Lamar Jackson completed 16 of 26 passes, good for 264 yards and two touchdowns as he led the Ravens over the Bengals last night, 34-20. Baltimore sits atop the AFC North with an 8-3 record, while Cincinnati drops to last place in the division at 5-5. On the ice in Pittsburgh, the Penguins were tied at two, entering the final period when the Devils put it to them, scoring three times. New Jersey ended their three-game losing streak with a 5-2 win, and the Penguins, their five-game winning streak is now over. Out west, the Islanders lost in a shootout to Seattle. The Kraken's Kaylor Yamamoto scored the game winner to give Seattle a 4-3 victory. Also skating to wins, the Senators, Knights, Coyotes, Lightning, Flames, Kings, and Sharks. Just two games on the docket in the NBA. Miami won their seventh straight after knocking off Brooklyn 122-115. to 115. Jimmy Butler led the way with 36 points. The Nets led by Mikel Bridges and Lonnie Walker, who both scored 23. The Thunder down Golden State 128-109. Let's talk baseball. More hardware handed out yesterday, and to no one's surprise, a pair of dynamic MLB players took home the MVP awards. Two-way superstar Shohei Otani won in the American League. Ronald Acuna was the National League winner. For Otani, it's his second straight MVP award, and he becomes the first player in history to win the award by unanimous vote twice. And the U.S. men's national soccer team captured a victory in the Nations League quarterfinals. They shut down Trinidad and Tobago 3-zip. 
That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, man, thank you very much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. It's still to come on this Friday edition of the Noon Report. Wet and white for your Turkey Day travel. We'll get to Kevin in four minutes. The Capital Connection crew ready to sound off on the important issues in the news from Albany and Harrisburg. And at the end of the broadcast today, meet the high schooler who is sowing seeds of generosity. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In their 2021 book, The Way of Medicine, Ethics in the Healing Profession, Duke University professor of medical humanities, Far Curlin, and philosophy professor, Christopher Tollefson, argued that the Western approach to healthcare has shifted dramatically in recent decades from the pursuit of objective well-being to a consumer industry. In the process, doctors are increasingly seen as service providers whose main job is to help patients do whatever they want to do with their bodies. Just two years later, this analysis seems even more spot on. The very existence of so-called transgender medicine is in fact a case in point. Hindering the body's natural development or cutting off healthy body parts in service of an inner sense of self is an abject perversion of medicine as a healing profession. According to Curlin and Tollefson, the way back to a healthy, no pun intended, healthcare system is by recovering the definition of health as an objective bodily norm for all living organisms. Here are the authors, quote, Living beings have characteristic bodily activities and tendencies, and these activities and tendencies determine what is appropriate, the norm, for them in regard to the well-working of their organic bodies, end quote. Now, that seems obvious enough, but restoring this understanding of health requires that the so-called well-working of our organic bodies be understood as being good in the first place. Here are the authors again, quote, If health either is not real or is not good, patients have no intrinsic reason to choose health rather than other desired states, nor do physicians have any intrinsic reason to make health central to their practice and profession, end quote. In the wake of the sexual revolution, the doubts about the object Activity and goodness of health are aimed mostly at the makeup and function of our bodies that have to do with sex. And that's not surprising, given that the West has spent decades steeped in the idea that sexual activity can be disconnected from morality or reality. Once the normal and healthy functioning of human bodies are considered oppressive and optional, well, then healthcare is reduced to a highly consequential and potentially fatal art project. Gone from the equation are all givens, any purpose, all moral limitations. So if something can be done with our bodies and someone wants it to be done, well, then it should be done. The biblical narrative, in contrast, describes human beings and therefore human bodies as created by God with purpose. This purpose implies the kinds of physical and moral norms that can undergird a stable understanding of health. The fall explains why things don't function always as they were created to function, undergirding a helpful and objective understanding of things like sickness and disability. The redemption provided in Christ Jesus aims at the restoration of God's creation. And that means healing is even possible. Thus, the work of medicine is a redemptive activity with ethical possibility and moral boundaries. Medicine was built on this framework of reality and without it quickly devolves into a moral chaos where up is confused with down, right with wrong, health with whatever we want. Canada's so-called medical assistance in dying program is the most obvious case in point here. There's nothing about the program that's medical or assistance or about dying. Rather, it's harm done to unburden us of having to care by killing the one who needs the care. 
In a more rational age, maid would be seen as the horrifying evil it is. In ours, evil and destruction are seen as good. This is how a society runs toward death, not only by denying God, but by denying the obvious realities of the world that he created. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. Time for us to head outside. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. Cloudy, breezy, mild. And where rain has not yet arrived, it will be arriving. Temperatures peaking ahead of the rain in the 60s and dropping to the 50s. And then much colder later tonight as rain tapers and ends. Low temps 30s tomorrow, much colder than today. Clouds are great for some sunshine. Could be a sprinkle or flurry. High temps 40s. Other cloudy Sunday. A couple of rain and snow showers. And high temps in the upper 30s and 40s. All right, Kevin, have yourself a wonderful weekend. It is Friday, folks, the 17th of November, and this is the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Michael, I want to begin with you uh, with the rise of anti-Semitism in this country. Hate speech is a big no-no these days, but you are concerned with several bills in Harrisburg that seek to address this. You argue these bills could severely infringe on First Amendment rights. How so? And do you see this legislation moving at all in the Senate? I think, first of all, when we think about the anti-Semitism, which is, is terrible to see, but thinking back to the awful tree of life killings there in the synagogue in Pittsburgh, the perpetrator of that was given the death penalty without a hate crime law here in Pennsylvania. And so what we look at this uh, particular hate crime package that passed the House, but we hope will not see action in the Senate, is one that really infringes upon free speech in very significant ways. And one of the real concerns we have on it is that it empowers sort of snitching, hiding behind anonymity to go after people and to report them, which then creates an investigation and they have to defend themselves. It's very problematic. And there are other reasons why we, we don't support it. Yeah, it's funny you should mention snitching because that kind of brings us to this next point, Jason. Uh, Governor Hochul has ordered police to conduct surveillance on social media use to keep tabs on hate speech. On the surface, you say, OK, that's good. But there are a lot of people who are concerned because the governor will not delineate what constitutes hate speech here. I know former gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin has come out expressing concern about this surveillance. Could this this be used to spy on conservatives, for instance? Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, the governor's surveillance unit is assuring New Yorkers that if you have hate speech on your social media profiles, if you post something there that the government does not like and deems it as hate speech, you'll be visited, contacted by the state police. That's problematic because it matters who is defining what is hate speech. And, you know, if we cannot stand up and defend the rights of people to say things that are problematic, then someday it could be us that is saying something 
something that society deems as problematic. Michael, another concerning issue, the abortion issue, Planned Parenthood and those like it trying to a new tactic to undermine states like yours in the efforts to protect life at all levels, unborn children, as well as the life of the mother. There's two new bills in the state house this week that are very concerning to you. Can you explain what's going on here? They call them the shield bills. I think a better name for them would be the Kermit Gosnell shield bills. And what I mean by that is what these bills would do if they became law is if a person from a pro-life state came to Pennsylvania to obtain an abortion, this shield law would protect the doctor from any sort of lawsuit or any investigation that might arise. It's really an open door to allow the Kermit Gosnell kind of house of horrors to redevelop here in Pennsylvania. So we're opposing it and hope it doesn't go any further in the Pennsylvania General Assembly. Jason, there was a rally this week. I believe it was in the Rochester, New York area, blasting this elder parole effort. This is where inmates who've served at least 15 years of their sentence and are at least 55 years old would be eligible for a parole hearing no matter the crime that they committed. Any appetite in Albany to push this over the goal line? And and how much damage would this do if this were to become law? Sadly, I think there is an appetite for passing that type of legislation. Uh, the legislature is not in session yet, but come January, you could see a push for this so-called elder parole, and that'll really come on the heels of what has happened this last year regarding clean slate legislation. For whatever reason, we have a habit of empowering those that have committed crimes while we leave victims of crimes off by the wayside and vulnerable. I am concerned about this. I think 55 is, uh, frankly, not that old. You can still do a lot of damage to 55 if you have history and a record there. And uh, unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that progressive policies in Albany continue to promote. Talk, if you would, just for another minute about this criminal justice reform activist. They have a hard time buying this argument. Okay, so you have been rehabilitated. There are some crimes, aren't there, Jason, where the crime is so heinous, you forfeited your right for freedom, no matter how rehabilitated you are. You know, I think of things like sex offenses, particularly involving children. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do believe in forgiveness and redemption, but that does not mean that you should leave your small children with someone who has committed a sexual offense against a child. Hmm. And, and I think that our legal system has to recognize that even though someone has paid a penalty for their crime, we shouldn't want to lessen that penalty later after it's been sentenced, but also remember that there should be barriers to protect society as a whole, and we seem to be forgetting that, and then we're watching society crumble and disintegrate, and we wonder why. Good point. Well, the PA House, uh, Michael, passed pension reform legislation this week, $1.8 billion worth in extra retirement pay. We'll see where this goes in the Senate. Democrats say this is long overdue. Republicans fear this could lead to higher property taxes. What say you, Michael Gear? Well, this is just sort of payback for the constituencies that elect the Democrats in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. Many of the public sector unions are the biggest backers of uh, those politicians, and so they're happy to offer more money and to pass bills like this that end up on the taxpayers' back. We already have an underfunded pension system in Pennsylvania, woefully underfunded, that really is uh, heading towards a crisis. All right, big news in public education. Jason, this week, a Blue Ribbon Commission went public with a dozen proposals to change the graduation rules for high schoolers. Are you a fan of these recommendations? And tell us why or why not. Well, the state is looking at really just over 
overhauling how students graduate here in New York. And there are probably some good goals in what they're looking at. And not every child will test well. Not every child will go to college. There are trade schools and other opportunities for students. However, I am also concerned that we are moving away from testing in general. And I think this may have a lot more to do with the fact that students are not performing as well. And therefore, it's reflecting on teachers, administrators, and others as a way to protect them rather than what is in the best interest of students. Yeah. Quick follow-up. This won't take effect for another year or so? Yeah, there's still a lot of ways to go along that, but it does kind of indicate the train has left the station and that in this state we're moving that direction. All right. Well, Michael, you are concerned. We've already mentioned the abortion issue, and I know both of you are very concerned about what happened in the state of Ohio last week. Not just abortion, but uh, recreational marijuana. All this made possible through ballot initiatives. Former Senator Rick Santorum was writing about this and how states are kind of moving toward this to pass some of these issues and make them law. Are you concerned that what happened in Ohio might spread to states like Pennsylvania? Well, we do see it happening, proposals in other states that will be on the ballot in 2024. There are a variety of reasons why they do that, including just promoting voter turnout among young people for the election of progressive candidates as well. Here in Pennsylvania, though, we do not have citizen initiative. We don't have the ability for the citizens, by collecting signatures, to put something on the ballot like that. Anytime anything goes on the ballot for a vote like that, it first has to go through the legislature. And I'm, I'm glad we have that safety check mm. because we can convince the legislature to do the right thing if people use their voice rather than the very expensive referendums that we see. Gotcha. I know there's a big one on abortion next year in New York, Jason, that you're watching too. That said, uh, the Democrat-backed group called Organize New York, uh, Jason, has launched a $9 million campaign to get young voters to the polls next year. Uh, They are going to be targeting upstate colleges, SUNY schools, and the like to try and flip the house back to the blue column. My question is, are conservatives doing enough to attract young voters next year? Yeah, I've got two schools of thought uh, in that idea. The first is, it seems like we're always trying to get the youth vote, and the youth just don't turn out to vote. Uh, For Democrats or uh, Republicans, I think on both sides, that is an issue. So, hence why they're trying harder to get the youth vote on those college campuses. But should conservatives be doing more to turn out the youth vote? Absolutely. You know, I think that we have um, uh, kind of alienated ourselves from certain segments. Um, It could be urban voters. It could be youth voters. And we should leave no stone unturned after everyone uh, trying to show them uh, what are the right policies for the state of the nation. All right. Just like that, our time is up. It's the fastest 10 minutes in radio, uh, we like to say. Uh, But we've been a lot of places. And if you have any questions about anything you heard on the program today, uh, Michael, I know you love to hear from our listeners. Where can they find you online? PAFamily.org. And stay informed on all the issues in New York as well. Jason, where can folks find you? AlbanyUpdate.com. They get it done every Friday. Capital Connection comes your way on the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Grab the umbrella. We've got rain ahead this afternoon into tonight ahead of a cold front. Behind the front, much chillier air arrives for the weekend, but not much precipitation is expected then. Now, next week... Could get rather messy. Low pressure will arrive with rain later Tuesday. Tuesday night could begin as an icy mix. Travelers take note. 
And behind that feature, lake effect snows could be substantial later Wednesday through Thanksgiving Day for localized areas east of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario in the belts. For this afternoon, cloudy, breezy, mild, and where rain has not yet arrived, it will be arriving. Temperatures peaking ahead of the rain in the 60s, then dropping through the 50s. And then much colder later tonight as rain tapers and ends. Low temps 30s tomorrow, much colder than today. Clouds break for some sunshine. Could be a sprinkle or flurry. High temps 40s. Other cloudy Sunday. A couple of rain and snow showers. And high temps in the upper 30s and 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. And finally at noon, a high schooler in a small Midwestern town is literally sowing the seeds of generosity. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. 16-year-old Lauren Schrader is making a significant impact on the small town of Wheatland, Iowa by growing fresh produce on her family's farm for local nonprofit organizations. What started at a food drive in the COVID pandemic when she saw a need for fresh produce transformed into a half-acre garden on her family's farm to give back to the community. And now that garden is a full acre in size and has produced an impressive 7,000 pounds of produce. Her work earned her a special award recognition in the 2023 My Impact Challenge from the Bill of Rights Institute. Despite juggling over a thousand hours of work in the garden while also playing softball and showing livestock, Lauren remains steadfast in her goal of donating 20,000 pounds of produce by the time she graduates high school in 2025. Brian Query, Family Life News. Awesome stuff. Lots of amazing kids out there doing incredible things. And that's the world we live in Friday, November 17th. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.